All right. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. I'm going to, well, I can sit down like this. I need a stool. A stool would be nice. Is there a stool around? No? Okay. That's okay. This will make me stand up every once in a while because it's pretty uncomfortable. So. Oh, that's right. You have a, you, a special stool. All right, let's say a prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, because of your tender love toward us sinners, you have given us your Son, that believing in him we might have everlasting life. Continue to grant us your Holy Spirit that we may remain steadfast in this faith to the end and finally come to life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Hello. Welcome. So the books, there's books over there. We're, already, we're starting to run out, which is, that's great. Um, $10. I think it says it's $9.99, but we don't have pennies, so you could. Okay. <laughs> um, and there's also a handout, um, a, some text by Luther. So I'll just, I'll just tell you, uh, any questions? Anybody have any questions? Anything? Important to talk about? Krista? I think it's wonderful. I never, never studied. <laughs> Great. Now, let me, let, we'll just, just so I know where, has any, have you read any of the Apocrypha, Apocrypha before? Some of the stories. Some of the stories. Okay. All right. So he, here's what I, uh, I'll, I don't have a, a lot to, te- to teach you because like, like most of us, I haven't read much of the Apocrypha. Now, um, so I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing a lot of uh, doing a lot of backfill right now, um, studying up, um, and there's a lot of really interesting things, uh, historical things, um, uh, geographical things, uh, theological things that we could talk about. But I think it will be much more interesting if we invest ourselves in the stories, um, and we we collaboratively as a group um, try to understand these stories and interpret them, figure out what they mean, all right? And have them, build them into our, into our memories. Because um, take, take a look at the back of the book that you got there. Now, this is the King James Version of the Apocrypha. So um, you might have to, I don't know, it's difficult for me to read the King James Version. Um, it, it doesn't go quickly. It doesn't, go, it doesn't flow smoothly for me. I, hopefully, that's not an issue for you. Um, but you might just have to take a little extra time to, to, to grasp it. But look what it says on the back. This is a great introduction to what, to what we're doing here. Because the, the books of the Apocrypha were written in the intertestamental period, they provide helpful insight into Jewish history, beliefs, and religious practices immediately prior to the birth of Jesus allowing readers a better understanding of the political, cultural, ethical, and religious context of the times. And then, this, and then this affordable and attractively text edition. So, um, so the intertestamental period, this, here's a little bit of, little bit of um, information for you. Um, what's, do you know what the last book of the, the Old Testament is? Malachi, who is, um, by all accounts, the last prophet. So we have Malachi... And do you know, anybody know, this is, 
I didn't. I couldn't have told you this if I hadn't looked it up. So anybody know about what time Malachi? In fact, I have to look it up right now because I can't remember. Uh, yeah, great. Around the 400s B.C. Okay? And then um, the New Testament, Jesus, probably about zero, right? Um, or, if you, or, or 2 B.C., depending on how you look at things. So we have this big gap, 400 years. That's called the intertestamental period. And one of the, one of the distinguishing fe- features of that gap is that, the, that there, were no, there were no prophets, um, which was not, it, it's something that we hear about in the Bible. So for instance, when Samuel is called to be a prophet, you remember how that story goes, he, um, his, his mother Hannah prays for a son, she has a son, she says, um, I'll dedicate him to the Lord, he'll serve in the temple with Eli, and um, so she gives him to Eli, and then he has, three times he wakes up in the middle of the night, hearing this voice, and it's the, it's the Lord speaking to him, telling him that the priests, Eli and his sons, are going to die. Um, and Samuel's got, got this job now, to be the prophet. And the reason why he has this job, let me get the language right. The reason why Samuel has this important job is because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Okay, so the prophets weren't speaking. And in fact, that's, um, that's, that's often a problem for the people of Israel. In fact, when Samuel dies, it's a problem because David doesn't have a prophet anymore. And so the intertestamental period between Malachi and John the Baptist is a period where we don't have a prophet speaking clearly. And, and so what, but, but it's important time because that's formative for the Jewish culture and, and the religion that Jesus uh, came into the world into. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, right? So um, it's helpful for us to understand it. Now, the literature that we have varies quite a bit. Um, the Apocrypha spans a whole bunch of different kinds of literature. Uh, Apocrypha, um, it, it's related to the word cryptic. It's hidden things, things that are... Um, Secret, and, it's, and that ju- it just simply means they're not part of what we normally read in the Bible. They have a long history going back, um, uh, going way back, um, but there are lots of reasons why the church has, the, especially the Protestant church, has said These are, this is different than Scripture. This is different than God's Word. Uh, but there's, there's history, the Maccabees, so the, and that's really important for us understanding the setting into which Jesus is born. And then there are some stories. We're going to do one of those stories, or start one of those stories today. Tobit is the story we're going to do. Stories that tell us about, they're sort of, I mean, it's folklore. It's um, formative, uh, instructional narratives, right? Good, old, good old-fashioned stories that were, were known by the people. Um, and that gives us some really helpful insight into how they were thinking. And, how, how, and we, we actually see, we can see reflections of, interestingly, the story of Tobit in what Jesus teaches and re- reflections and um, modifications. So Jesus says, as he often says of the law, you've heard it said so-and-so, but I say to you, right? So he, he does that even in reference to some of the things we hear about in, in these stories. And then there are um, apocalyptic 
Revelation-style um, pieces of literature. And um, we're, we'll, so we're, we only have six weeks left here in the, in the spring. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure just how fast we'll go. We'll try and, the goal is going to be to um, get some of the exciting stories into your vocabulary um, and it for, as, as, as reference for you. Okay, any questions? Marilyn. Right. Yeah, so Rome came in, this, this book says 63 BC. Yeah, the Roman period begins with 63. So that's when Rome comes into Judea. And that's what we see when Jesus is around, right? So the Romans are ruling over Judea. Prior to that, it was the Greeks without, or the Hasmoneans, and then the Greeks under Alexander the Great, right? You know Alexander. Um, and, and prior to that, this is, then prior to that, this is great. Um, let me. Write some things down. So, in the New Testament, we have the Romans. Uh, before that were the Hasmoneans, and we'll, we can talk about that when we get to the literature that relates. And then the Greeks before that. And then, uh, before the Greeks, there were the Persians. Now, you know the Persians from some biblical stories, right? Do you know which stories are Related to the Persians? Esther, Daniel, right? Um, or Daniel, sorry, the Babylonians. We have the Babylonians. So there you get Daniel. And before that, the Assyrians. Okay, so now, this is, so this is, uh, this is the history of Israel in Judea, um, being conquered and exiled. And... Um, the, so the, the Assyrians came in and they conquered and they, they sent people away. They exiled them. The Babylonians did the same thing. But uh, as we know in the story of Daniel, for instance, the, they, didn't, um, they, didn't, they, they, they persecuted a bit, but the culture main, was maintained. Um, Daniel was faithful and he was promoted to this high rank in the, in the kingdom. Um, the Persians came and they said they were, they were much more toler, tolerant of of. The Jews, and so in, under the Persians, we get the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, where they go. They're allowed to go. Uh, King Darius makes a decree; they are allowed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Okay, so this is where you get. So in it, the um, destruction of the temple um, happens in the 700s, and then they rebuild the temple, and that's so we get this language of Second Temple Judaism, which comes about when they rebuild. The, so, so that's the temple that Jesus is worshiping in when um, he is uh, in Jerusalem, right? Okay? All right. Any questions? Is this making sense? Right. The first, the first temple. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy. 586, yeah. Sorry. Right. That's when uh, Samaria falls, 721, right? Yeah. Okay, so in the 500s, the temple is destroyed. Okay. Any any questions? Just about this. Um, so then, are each of these books written in a different period, or are they all the same and different authors? And- yes, different. They're all different. Okay. So in fact, so, it's, so that makes it difficult to talk about them generally. Um, for instance, Tobit tells a story that takes place in the Assyrian captivity. 
but common, the, the consensus about Tobit is that um, the author of Tobit built in anachronisms, things that don't make sense, um, about the rulers, about locations, deliberately to show that it's not historic, that it's, that it's fictional, um, and that it was probably written later, during the 2nd and 3rd centuries BC. So it was written later, um, telling a story that had, has its roots in the Assyrian captivity. Okay? Any other questions? Okay. So here's what I'd like to do. You could tell me if you think this is a bad idea. Um, since you haven't had a chance to read Tobit yet, I'd like to spend some time just reading, uh, reading it today and see how it goes, um, and we'll sort of chart it out, because it, it, even if you've read it, you, it might be, uh, it'll be a good to rehearse the story. And I have some questions for you to consider as we think about the story. So, take a look first at the handout that I gave you from Luther. Luther gives us an introduction. So he wrote, he wrote prefaces to the Apocrypha, and he describes, he describes the Apocrypha as, as uh, books that are not held equal to the sacred scriptures, but are nevertheless useful and good to read. And he tells us why they're useful and good to read in his prefaces. So, take a look at this um, See where it says the preface to the book of Tobit. This is what Luther says. What was said about the book of Judith may also be said about the book of Tobit. That is, if the events really happened, then it is a fine and holy history. But if they are all made up, then it is indeed a very beautiful, wholesome, and useful fiction or drama by a gifted poet. So he's not sure. And that's, that's the reason why he doesn't include it in, among the scriptures. Because he's, he's not sure about it. Okay. Uh, it may even be assumed that beautiful compositions and plays like this were common among the Jews on their festivals and Sabbaths. We know this about Esther, right? Esther was read during the Feast of Purim, right? Uh, on their festivals and Sabbaths, they steeped themselves in them and through them, especially in times of peace and good government, for they liked, and they liked to instill God's word and work into their young people. For they had outstanding people, prophets, bards, poets, and the like, who in all sorts of ways diligently set forth the Word of God. So um, this fits in the category then of, uh, of a story that, that conveys God's Word, right, without, without being a historical account, right? So, so then the, the, the question for us to ask is, one of the main questions is, what's the point? What are we supposed to get out of this story? What does it mean, okay? Um, also, Luther, Luther points out this difference between Judith another apocryphal book, and Tobit. He says, notice in that second paragraph, Judith presents a good, serious, heroic tragedy, and Tobit presents a fine, delightful, devout comedy. So he says Tobit is a comedy. But I want you to entertain, I want you to engage the question of whether or not you think Tobit is a comedy or something else. Is it comic or is it, or is it tragic? Okay? Um, and, he, and he describes what happens? The book of Tobit shows how things may go badly with a pious peasant or townsman, and there may be much suffering in married life, yet God always graciously helps and finally crowns the outcome with joy in order that married folks should learn to have patience and in a genuine fear of God and firm faith, put up gladly with all sorts of hardships because they have hope. Now, he, he, he is really interested in making it particularly about marriage, and marriage is at the center of the story, um, but Faith, we read Hebrews 11, faith and trusting in the promises of God is what's at the center of the story, and it's, it's manifest in these relationships, um, which are very interesting. So, 
what we'll do is, uh, let me just read to you a bit, and then we'll talk about it. Does that sound okay? If you get bored, raise your hand. I'm not sure what I'll do about it, but... <laughs> See, the, the, and, and so this is, uh, this is all about me, really. Because um, I've, I've read it several times, and I find that reading it is, is um, the best way to best way to engage it, reading it together. And um, I'm really interested, this I, I genuinely, sincerely, I'm really interested in your insights about this, um, what, you, what you take away from it, okay? So now you're going to, it's not going to sound the same if you're reading the King James Version, following on the King James Version, because I'm reading from the ESV translation, which I can, which has words I can pronounce in it, so. <laughs> All right. Tobit 1. The book of the Acts of Tobit, the son of Tobiel, the son of Ananiel, son of Aduel, the son of Gabael, of the descendants of Aziel, of the tribe of Naphtali, who in the days of King Anamesaurus of the Assyrians was taken into captivity from Thisba, which is to the south of Kedesh Naphtali in Galilee, above Asher. Now, I have a map. You might have trouble seeing this. Let's see. That's difficult to see, isn't it? Um, there's Nineveh up top here. This is, this is showing the, the reign of the, um, the Assyrians, or the, 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 the realm that they conquered. There's Nineveh up top, which is the capital of Assyria. Thisba's not on here, but, but Nineveh becomes important later. Okay. Now, now Tobit starts narrating. He says, I, Tobit, walked in the ways of truth and righteousness all the days of my life, And I performed many acts of charity to my brothers and compatriots who went with me into the land of the Assyrians to Nineveh. Now when I was in my own country, in the land of Israel, while I was still a young man, the whole tribe of Naphtali, my ancestor, deserted the house of Jerusalem. This was the place that had been chosen from among all the tribes of Israel, where all the tribes should sacrifice and where the shrine of the dwelling of the Most High was consecrated and established for all generations forever. So here he's telling... So I'm going to be interrupting it all the time. I'm sorry. Um, if you want me to just read it, I'll shut up. I'll do that. But um, so this is he's, here. He's recounting some history um, under the kings. The sons of Solomon um, re- split the split the kingdom apart, and Jeroboam establishes a new site for worship. All right, not in Jerusalem, and that takes place in First Kings. This is printed really small. 12, 1 Kings 12. Let me just read to you just a bit here. Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David, which he doesn't want. If this people go up to offer their sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So Jeroboam has, I mean, it's really sinister, right? He says, I don't want them, I don't want to lose the kingdom, so I'm going to say, time to sacrifice somewhere else, and here are your gods. You know, notwithstanding the memory of Aaron saying, making a golden calf saying, this behold your God who brought you out of Egypt, right? So, 
Tobit saying, um, everybody else from his tribe of Naphtali went and sacrificed at Bethel. But he, he alone kept sacrificing in Jerusalem. Okay? Everybody following so far? All the tribes that joined in apostasy used to sacrifice to the heifer Baal. And so did the house of Naphtali, my ancestor. But I alone went often to Jerusalem for the feasts, as is ordained for all Israel by an everlasting decree. Taking the first fruits and the tithes of my produce and the first shearings, I would give these to the priests, the sons of Aaron, at the altar. Of all my produce, I would give a tenth to the sons of Levi, who ministered at Jerusalem. A second tenth I would sell, and I would go and spend the proceeds each year at Jerusalem. The third tenth I would give to those to whom it was my duty, as Deborah, my father's mother, had commanded me, for I was left an orphan by my father. When I became a man, I married Anna, a member of our family, and by her, I became the father of Tobias. Okay, so just a couple of, couple of things. Um, what are your observations so far? What do you know, what, how does the story strike you at this point? Okay, he is, he is faithful. Now, not to... Um, yeah, go ahead, Nancy. Yeah, so it's not, it didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So it, 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 that, that's, that's exactly the reason why. So, so Luther says the author deliberately did that so you would not mistake it for a factual account. It's just, it's just interesting, right? Um, what else? What else do you know about these people? How, just how faithful is Tobit? Oh, Maybe a bit prideful. I don't know. Let's wait and see. Okay? I'll put a question mark by it. Um, what is he? he so the, the word tobit um, comes from the Hebrew tov. Anybody know what tov means? Good, right? So he's good. Tobias is good. Anna, related to Hannah, um, means favored one. Okay? Or uh, favorable. All right? Um, and what's the, what's the relationship between Tobit and Anna? They're, they're husband and wife, but, but also they're related, right? Okay, good. You got the key, key stuff so far. Any questions? Okay, hang on. Here we go. Verse 10. Now, when I was carried away captive to Nineveh, all my brothers and relatives ate the food of the Gentiles, but I kept myself from eating it because I remembered God with all my heart. Then the Most High gave me favor and good appearance in the sight of Enemesaurus, and I was his buyer of provisions. So I used to go into Media, and once at Ragus in Media, I left ten talents of silver in trust with Gabael, the brother of Gabrius. But when Enemesaurus died, Sennacherib, his son, reigned in his place, and under him the highways were unsafe, so that I could no longer go into Media. So Media is to the right on the map there outside of the kingdom that Assyria is ruling. Um, and he was in favor when Anemesaurus was king, but when Sennacherib became king, the roads were unsafe. Everybody on board? Okay. In the days of Anemesaurus, I performed many acts of charity to my kindred. I would give my bread to the hungry and my clothing to the naked. 
And if I saw any one of my people dead and thrown out behind the wall of Nineveh, I would bury him. And if King Sennacherib put to death any who came fleeing from Judea, I buried them secretly, for in his anger he put many to death. When the bodies were sought by the king, they were not found. Then one of the men of Nineveh went and informed the king about me that I was burying them, so I hid myself. When I learned that I was being searched for to be put to death, I left home in fear. Then all my property was confiscated and nothing was left to me except my wife Anna and my son Tobias. But not fifty days passed before two of Sennacherib's sons killed him and they fled to the mountains of Ararat. Then Sacerdonus, his son, reigned in his place and he appointed Ahikar, son of my brother Aniel, over all the accounts of his kingdom and over the entire administration. Ahikar interceded for me and I returned to Nineveh. Now Ahikar was cupbearer, keeper of the signet, and in charge of administration of the accounts, for Sacerdonus had appointed him second to himself. He was my nephew. Okay, so what happened? How would you describe what's happened so far? Yeah, so he starts out doing pretty good. Um, so he's, he's doing really well, and then he's out of favor, gets t- everything taken away, right? Um, except for his wife, Anna, and his son, Tobias. But then um, his relative, his nephew, comes into favor, second in command, and he's, things are looking pretty good again. Okay, so um, this, is, this is sort of setting the stage for... What, what's happening um, in Tobias's life. Now, what do you think? Uh, the way Tobias is telling the story, what's the relationship between, or sorry, the way Tobit is telling the story, what's the relationship between his fortune and his faithfulness, his, his goodness? We fell out of favor for burying the dead. Yeah, okay. So... This fall from favor was because of his righteousness. Um, and, and burying the dead was, I mean, that was his thing. Like, he would, he would, go, he would go and even bury um, the people that, that the king killed. Um, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't know where the bodies had gone because he had taken care of burying them. Um, and because of that, the people, set, the people tattled on him. All right? Um, so it's because of his righteousness that he is, that he gets in trouble, that he loses loses favor. Okay. Any questions? All right. Did he stop then? He, well, you can't really tell for sure, but it sounds like he stopped. Well, let's let's see, let's see what happens. That's a great question. Okay. Chapter two. When I arrived home, and my wife Anna and my son Tobias were restored to me, at the feast of Pentecost which is the sacred festival of the seven weeks, a good dinner was prepared for me, and I sat down to eat. Upon seeing the abundance of food, I said to my son, Go and bring whatever poor man of our brothers you may find who is mindful of the Lord, and I will wait for you. But he came back and said, Father, one of our people has been strangled and thrown into the marketplace. So before I tasted anything, I sprang up and removed the body to a place of shelter until sunset. And when I returned, I washed myself and ate my food in sorrow. Then I remembered the prophecy of Amos, how he said, Your feasts shall be turned into mourning, and all your festivities into lamentation. There's a picture of uh, Tobit burying bodies. I I found some pictures to show you. Um, And I wept 
and he wept. Okay? So he does continue burying the bodies. In fact, to what, to what great lengths does he go? He stops his meal, stops his feast. Um, now, does this episode with him having a meal and telling his, giving his son these instructions, does that remind you of anything, that, anything else you've heard in the Bible? This is, a, this is another thing that we need to engage as we go along. What does this remind you of? What, what bells does this ring? Terrible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or Jesus says, um, when you throw a party, don't just invite your friends, but invite the poor, because if uh, if you invi- if you invite those who will return the favor, what what good is that? But if you invite those who can't return the favor, that you you've received your reward, right? Um, so to- Tobias or Tobit seems to be I- embodying these kind of charitable virtues, right? And in fact, the book of Tobit was really important um, throughout the history of the church for describing, giving a, giving a picture of the virtue of charity. In particular, almsgiving, um, tithing, right? So not only, did he, not only did he give 10% to the, how did it go? He gave 10% to, uh, let's see, taking the first fruits and the tithes of my produce, I would give these to the priests, and then he would give a tenth to the sons of Levi, and then, yeah, then a second tenth he would sell, and he would spend the proceeds each year at Jerusalem. So he was, he was giving away all these things that he had, and he would bury the dead. Jan. Isn't there something to do with dead bodies? And, and here it says, you know, he just came back and washed his hands, but I thought there was, I know that there's a period that they cannot go into the temple, but obviously they weren't in a place where they could go into the temple at this point. Right. Right. Good. Excellent. So you touch a dead body, you're unclean. Right? Um, which is why he washes his hands, for one thing. Um, but he doesn't want to make anybody else unclean. Because he's ritually unclean. Now, this is, the, this is the important thing about uncleanness. The thing about being unclean is not that um, you're, you, you're excluded from your house. It's not that you don't get to, to hang around other people. It's not that um, you're a bad person. But you can't go to the temple. Okay? You can't participate in the worship of the community. And that's a, that's a terrible thing for somebody who knows what worship is all about, right? Um, David is always writing about this in the Psalms. He's, um, he's lamenting the fact that uh, his, he, because of his persecution, he can't be in the house of God. Right? And that's the same thing with, with uncleanness. Now, this is God's maintaining uh, really strict boundaries because um, the, the relationship between holiness and cleanness is central. So the, the priests, when they are going to offer sacrifices, they have to go through this whole rigmarole of becoming clean, of being clean. Why? Because you need somebody who's clean to offer a good sacrifice, which you know, all points finally to Jesus, who is the only one who can make a perfect sacrifice. Um, and this, but the same thing goes for, for regular old folks, right? They couldn't benefit, they couldn't benefit from God's presence among the, the, the people of Israel if they were unclean. So you were avoided uncleanness. Now, there were things that were necessary, like burying dead bodies. And so they, went, they would follow the procedure to become clean again. And 
Tobit is Tobit is interested in doing this, uh, as we'll see. Go ahead, Rachel. Was there someone who was designated to take care of the bodies, or what would happen to them otherwise? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, I don't I don't think that there was in like in the laws of in the Bible that there was anybody designated. It was just a fact that. If you, that you would have to bury a body, and th- and by necessity you would be touching a dead body, and so you would have to become ritually clean again, right? But in the, in this case, the reason why Tobit is doing it is because nobody's nobody's touching them, nobody's doing it. Um, whether it's because they don't want to become unclean or because they don't want to be in the disfavor of Sennacherib, either way, they're not doing what they what they're supposed to do. Okay, Barb. And I have a new English yeah, that's the prophecy that he refers to here. Your feasts shall be turned into mourning and your festivities into lamentation. So this, this uh, fellow Israelite, this fellow, fellow Jew was strangled and his body left unburied. And, and, the, and, and 810 it talks about the uncle is supposed to take the body. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, thank you. So Amos 810, I'm going to write that down. Um, good. Any other questions? Somebody else had their hand up. Krista? Um, the lepros, they were unclean. They were unclean, yeah. And that, and, and that was what was so difficult for them. So then you get this great, this great story, um, one of Pastor Nelson's favorite sermons. Uh, my f- favorite sermon that he ever preached was his Thanksgiving Day sermon. You know the text we read on Thanksgiving? The lepers, the ten lepers, and the one leper, he heals them, and the one leper comes back to Jesus. And you want to, it, it's so confusing because you say, well, Jesus said, Go show yourself to the priests because now they can do that. The priests can declare them clean and they can go and be re-engaged in the life of the community. But the Samaritan comes back. Why does he come back? Because Jesus is the new temple, right? He's part of a new community, a community that's centered around Jesus. It's just, uh, it's great. Pastor Nelson changed my life with that sermon. It's good. Um, so, uh, yeah, the lepers were unclean. And, that, and it wasn't, I mean, they were sick, yes. But more importantly, they were ostracized. They were outside the community. And that's why, it's, uh, that's why it's so important for Jesus to come. And what does Jesus do? He's doing this all the time. He's touching unclean people. He's touching dead people, right? So um, the, he raises the widow's son who's being carried in the funeral procession. He walks right up to the, the, the casket and touches the kid, right? Um, and raises him back to life. He takes the uncleanness into himself, okay? Good. Any other questions? All right, so now the story takes a turn. So he's just done this good deed, and he's unclean. Chapter 2, verse 7. When the sun had set, I went and dug a grave and buried the body. And my neighbors laughed at me and said, he's no longer afraid that he will be put to death for doing this. He once ran away, and here he is burying the dead again. On the same night, I returned from burying him because I was defiled. I slept by the wall of the courtyard, and my face was uncovered. So, he's, he's following the regulations. Verse 10, I did not know that there were sparrows on the wall, and their fresh droppings fell into my open eyes. See, now you're laughing, so you think it's a comedy. Okay, good, all right. <laughs> fell into my open eyes, and white films formed on my eyes. I went to physicians, but they did not help me. Ahikar, however, took care of me until he went to Elamias. All right? So, another good deed gone punished, right? Um, 
He just this and and so how would you describe what has happened to him? What kind of an event is it, Holly? Well, it's like he, he was already unclean. Yeah. And then he becomes unclean. Yeah. Oh yeah. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? Um, yeah, that's good. I gotta write that down. I gotta keep track of my marker here. So he's he's burying the dead. Could be. Ooh, okay. Um, sparrow droppings. This is great. This is, this is, we should be, these are the questions you should be asking right now. So he becomes more unclean. And so um, at this point, you know, you're, the, the question you should be asking is, what is, what is going on? What, where is this headed? What, why on earth... Um, so we know that we know that the righteous suffer, okay, but but um, this is like absurd, right? It, it's uh, outrageous. Holly. He couldn't help him. Yeah. No, it does. It does say they did not help me, and that's good. But I think it made. Uh, he was blind. Right. That was the th- that was the thing that he was suffering. So now I don't. I don't. It doesn't. They did not help. Even even today, when you have these droppings, you get blind. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. Okay, that's everybody. Don't watch out for the sparrows. Okay. Okay. So, so this is what we know so far. We find out more. We find out more. But this is what we know so far. There were white films formed on his eyes. He went to the physicians, but they did not help him. Which to me sounds like they they were unable to help him. But it could mean they refused to help him. But his uh, this fellow Ahikar, who is related to him. Do you remember how he's related? The son of my brother, Anael. So that's his cousin. The son of his brother. That's his cousin. Okay. It's his nephew. All right. His nephew took care of him, but then his nephew went away. All right. Everybody on board so far? Okay. This is great. Then my wife, Anna, earned money at women's work. She used to send the product to the owners. Once, when they paid her wages, they also gave her a kid. And when she returned to me, it began to bleat. So I said to her, where did you get the kid? It is not stolen, is it? Return it to the owners, for it is not right to eat what is stolen. And she said, it was given to me as a gift in addition to my wages. But I did not believe her and told her to return it to the owners, and I blushed for her. Then she replied to me, Where are your charities and your righteous deeds? Behold, everything is known about you. Okay, so that needs a lot of unpacking. Um, so a lot goes on there. So what, at first glance, what do you see? Oh, hang on. This is Rembrandt. This is really cool. I wish I could make it bigger. Um, this is Anna and Tobias and the goat. 
What else do you, do you see anything else in this picture? It's really far away. I'm sorry. I should have printed it out for you. He looks like he's blind, doesn't he? And somebody said there's a dog, right? Every painting of, you'll find out why, every painting of the story of Tobit has a dog in it. Almost every painting. Holly? Yep. And it's probable that the reason why we named dogs Toby comes from, just, comes from this, maybe. Um, okay, so now unpack it a little bit. What happened? What happened? She got a goat. How did she get a goat? It was given to her by her employers. Now, um, the way that it's phrased points to the fact that this was a shameful thing for, to, to, for Tobit, for Anna to be earning the keep, right? For her to be the breadwinner, right? This was a shameful thing for Tobit. That's right. Yeah. And um, so she comes home with this goat, and what does he do? What's his response? Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of outraged by it. Um, he scolds her. Um, and was he, should, was he right to do that? No, because um, the, I don't know what I'm going to write down. The goat, um, the goat was given to her. It wasn't stolen, but he insists. And then Anna takes a turn, right? How does she respond to him? Yeah, come on, be nice to your wife, right? That's yeah, basically. So he he um, and, and it's also this sort of like, look, what has your righteousness? Why were so even if it was stolen, what has your righteousness gotten you all this time, right? Um, right what what good? Everybody knows that you're that you're so good. Why are you suffering like this? Okay, it's kind of a, it it has shades of Job, and and his wife there, right? But it, now to now Tobit prompts it by being so mean and rude, right? Well, maybe it was really stolen. Well, the, the, so, oh, now, now, this is interesting because, interesting in terms of the narrative, literarily, um, he, Tobit, is still narrating, right? And he says they gave her a kid when, when, they, gave, when they paid her a wage. So he knows, after the fact, when he's writing the story, that it was not stolen, okay? But at the time, he accused her of stealing it. Mary. Would you say he was being arrogant? I think it's hard. And, and wasn't, during that time, the men were the head of the family, and the women just followed them around, and it was a token, anything they got extra? You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I'm, not sure, I, I, I'm not sure how to describe it. Um, but you're right, he was acting... Um, not as a not as a husband should act towards his wife, right? Wasn't he acting in a way of putting a female in a secondary position, like a slave position? Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's true. And that, um, and that's totally disrespectful. Yeah, I, so I think that he was he was if if you wanted to read it in the context, the cultural context, right? He is. His pride is hurt because he is not working. He is not earning the wages, right? And his wife is earning uh, the wages. And then she comes home with this extra, this bonus, and um, it prompts him to this, this erratic response. Okay? Jan. Well, I would think she was probably not working for other Jews. Oh. That yeah. she was working for... 
That could be. Yeah, yeah, because they were in Nineveh, you're right. They were in Nineveh, remember, and yeah, there were a few of the Jewish people that might have had the wherewithal, but my guess is, so therefore this kid came from unbelievers, from Gentiles on top of it. Huh. And that, now that's interesting, and so that may, or, that may or may not be true, but if it is true, remember how before he made a point of saying that he, ref- he refused to eat the food, although all his brothers did, right? Remember that? Um, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It would seem to make sense. Yeah. Donna. So if the goat was stolen, and if she's working for unbelievers, um, maybe it's just that he was really set on being righteous? Could be. Now, I think, I think we do know for a fact that the goat was not stolen. It was not stolen. Nope, it was not stolen. That changes. But but if he if she was working for for unbelievers and this was a gift of food from the unbelievers, then maybe he. But the but he accuses her of stealing it. So that you know that's not what he's that's not what's at stake. Marilyn. Well, it almost seems like he believes no one can be righteous but him. Oh. Because he gives to everybody else, and how dare somebody else be as righteous as he is? That's good. Okay. Okay, so maybe, now, you're all very skeptical of Tobit, which is okay. Um, uh, nobody can be as righteous as him. I think that there's, there's going to be more evidence for this later, um, but I don't, know, I don't know if it's the point or not. But it, that is a good observation. So, so he's, you know, his, his wife is, is working, um, sustaining their household, and um, somebody's giving them this charity, and he's, it, ah, I can't take it. Nobody, nobody can be as righteous as me, right? Maybe, maybe. Okay, what else? Anything else? Holly. I think the painting throws me off because of the No painting. Yes, there we go. Okay. Because the Yeah. Right. So. I don't know. Like I, I feel like it, the painting gives him a better character view than you know what we're right. looking at. Absolutely. I think you're right. That that's certainly true. Next week, uh, I'll get you a closer. I'll, I'll print this out for you so you can look at it. It's a, it's a great painting. Uh, uh, but this painting does prompt us to be at, to reserve judgment. Right. We don't really know what's going on. Um, we don't know the whole story yet. He's got this, this posture of piety, um, and his affect, so Anna's affect is, she's the one scolding him, right? And he's, in, he's enduring it, right? Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Now, um, we shouldn't expect that, now this is an important observation, and this is true when we read the Bible. We shouldn't expect that characters are, are flat, right? That they are one thing or the other. So he may, in fact, have been as righteous and charitable as he said he was, but that doesn't mean that he didn't snap at his wife when she brought home a goat, right? When he shouldn't have. Okay? Great. Okay, let's see what we can do here. Um, okay, we're going to read the, just the next section, and that ends this, 
that ends this first scene. All right. So Tobit, chapter 3. He says, Then in my grief I wept, and I prayed in anguish, saying, Righteous are you, O Lord, all your deeds and all your ways are mercy and truth, and you render true and righteous judgment forever. Remember me and look favorably upon me. Do not punish me for my sins and for my unwitting offenses and those that my fathers committed before you. For they disobeyed your commandments, and you gave us over to plunder, captivity, and death. You made us a byword of reproach in all the nations among which we have been dispersed. And now your many judgments are true in exacting penalty from me for my sins and those of my fathers, because we did not keep your commandments, for we did not walk in truth before you. And now deal with me according to your pleasure. Command my spirit to be taken up, that I may depart and become dust, for it is better for me to die than to live, because I have heard false reproaches, and great is the sorrow within me. Command that I now be released from my distress to go to the eternal abode. Do not turn your face away from me. So it's a, it's a pretty pious prayer, right? He's willing to take the, the suffering as punishment for his sins and the sins of his fathers, right? Because we, now, he says, we did not follow your commandments. My unwitting offenses, I've tried to be righteous, but I admit that I've unwittingly offended you. Um, but what's his petition? What does he want? He wants to die, right? Um, it's better for me to die. Better for me to die than to live. Because he suffered these false reproaches. People have said, said things about him falsely. Okay? And, and also, um, and great is the sorrow within me, right? Um, which is interesting. Because um, it, it's, it's different than, that's an interesting prayer, isn't it? Um, so he wants, the, he wants his suffering and the false reproaches to end, which is a fine prayer, but the way he wants them to end is by dying, right? Um, we can even think about that a bit. I'm thinking about it. Okay, any, any yeah, Holly. Uh, Marcus, his grandpa died not too, a couple of years ago. But, and this sort of spurred on a lot of what he does with the cut-ins now. Yeah. Um, but he was so angry, his grandpa was so angry that he was still alive. Why would God keep him alive when he suffers so? Sure. He just wants to die. And, <laughs> make him cry, Marcus said you suffer so, so that people can see Right. So, it just reminds me. Yeah. And that's what he does with shut it down to help them live. Like Harold Lane was 102 when he died. Yeah. Marx is like, maybe God still has a plan for you here. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, exactly. And and that is uh, something that we often overlook because we are much more sheltered from death than past generations have been, right? Um, it's a witness like the martyrs. Exactly. The, the, exactly right. And the martyrs, so there, there's always this important distinction made for the martyrs. There was this, often this desire to become a martyr, right? If only I can uh, die for my faith, then I'll have, then I'll, then I'll have proven something, right? Um, but you don't get to choose to be a martyr, right? And the important thing is being a witness. That's right. Likewise, Luther says... Um, you don't get to choose your suffering, 
You don't get to choose your crosses, right? Um, your crosses are given to you, and this is what's so hard. They're a gift, right? So this is what Tobit can't wrap his mind around, that the, reproach, the false reproaches he's suffering and his sorrow that's great within him is, in fact, a gift. That doesn't mean that he has to enjoy it, and that doesn't mean he can't petition God to... I mean, David does this all the time in the Psalms, right? Put to, put to um, an end those who reproach me falsely, right? Um, but, but like Jesus, um, suffering those things is redemptive. And the same thing is true for, for anybody for whom God is, uh, is giving his salvation, to anybody who, to whom God is giving his salvation. This is really hard. This is really hard, but this is, this is at the root of what it means to be a Christian in this world. You don't, have to, you don't have to like it or you don't have to feel it, but you confess, you say, my crosses, the things that I suffer, are a gift um, and a blessing. That's pretty, that's pretty tough, but um, anyway. Cindy. Right. Well, because because you think that you're you're an owner, you're, you're owning. You're the de- determinant. You're the one deciding life and death. Right. God says, "I kill and make alive," um, and uh, so we're, we're terrible judges of all kinds of things, including when life should end. Right. And there's judgment. And there's, yeah. There's a lot of right. Right. Yeah. Holly. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how the story. I don't remember. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it, where it goes. But um, that might be something worth hanging on to. That um, maybe maybe Tobit um, has ha, is refusing gifts. Both good gifts. Both gifts that in the eyes of the world are good and and ones that are bad. Right. Okay. We got to stop there. Um, we did. We, got, we didn't get very far. Um, this is, there's, there are 14 chapters. Um, is it all right if we read it together in class? Is that okay? Great. Mary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God. That's that's the gospel, right? That um, that in the cross is um, is God's unmerited favor, His His mercy, His great mercy, and um, that's what we say about baptism, which then translates into 
the rest of our lives, right? You've been buried with him by baptism into death. And so, um, just as Christ uh, was raised by the glory of the Father, so too shall you be raised, walk in newness of life, right? Um, and that's, that's, it's paradoxically true because this newness of life at this point doesn't seem, it seems often like the same old, same old thing. We get this this weekend um, in the gospel lesson. They're on the seashore of the Sea of Tiberias and um, they've seen Jesus twice. And Peter says, I'm going fishing because um, it just doesn't seem, he can't, he can't wrap his mind around the newness that, that's been given to him. Okay? And in fact, it's, it's imperceptible unless Jesus shows it to you. Okay? Um, okay, we'll come back next week and continue. So if you want to read it, by all means, go ahead. Um, but we'll read, we'll read in class together. Okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you.